Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, and welcome to my first installment of Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. And today, I'm talking to Michelle Miao and Valerie Joy. Hello, hello. Hello. I'm Michelle Miao. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Valerie Joy. And the reason that I, the reason I wanted to have start this show is that I've noticed that in this country, as much as people, some people want to say we're post-racial, we're really not post-racial. I've noticed that there are a lot of divisions in this country, and I see a lot of people tiptoeing around the issue of race. And I think about the kind of world in which I want to live, and I want to live in a world where people aren't afraid of each other, where people are able to talk to each other, and where people see each other more than just one dimension. Mm -hmm. And in order to get to those other dimensions, we can't be afraid to talk about, about race. We can't be afraid to talk about race, gender, sexual orientation. And I want to talk about race. And I also notice that oftentimes on shows, we, see, we hear from pundits. But I want to hear from everyday people because I want to, my idea is to bring race to the people, to bring race to, 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 so that everybody can have conversations about race and understand that, yes, it might be uncomfortable at first. But unless we start doing it, it's not going to happen. And the other reason is that there's a lot of people I really admire who are talking about race, but I don't really see very many white people talking about race in the way that I want to talk about it. So to get started, I wanted to have Valerie Joy and Michelle Miao, who are both friends of mine. Uh, Michelle Miao, as you know, is the producer of the Michelle Miao Show. And so, and, and Valerie Joy is a musician, educator, and scholar. And she, her, and what she does is she's bring, bring has a project called the Shine Bring. Is it called the Shine? Bring the Shine music, Project. The Shine Project, bringing musical music, spirituality, and social justice together. So I want to ask my first question now. Now, Michelle, you're Thai, and and Valerie, you're African American, and I'm white and I'm Jewish. My first question to you is, do you think that it's divisive to talk about race? In this country, wow, what a, what a great question. Um, in this country, that is the experiences, unfortunately, that people of color face when we talk about racism. So I'm going to say yes, and it's not because people make it divisive. I think the structure uh, in, in re revolving around race and how we live our everyday lives, whether we can call it racism or I guess I should say whether it's covert racism or overt racism, that is what causes the divisiveness. Hmm. I, I agree with that, actually. I, I do agree with that. And, and uh, on the, at the same time... Um, I always ask the question, why is it, why do you think it's divisive? I mean, that's my, my question is, it's divisive, then why do you think so? I mean, because if we have a conversation and we understand why people feel that way, then we can get into a conversation about all this other stuff that's, that's keeping us divided. 
Because it was a question on Facebook that somebody posed to me. Well, she didn't post it to me. She posed it, and, 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 and I responded because I was in agreement with her. And she said, I'm so, she was African-American, and she said, I'm so effing tired of people who tell me not to talk about racism, that talking about racism is divisive. Mm. And my response was, because I said, talking about, it's not talking about racism that's divisive, it's racism. And not talking about racism doesn't make it go away. So sure. how did you respond? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, the, there's so many ways that you could take in or react to this question and also many ways that you can understand it especially because we have cultural mm -hmm. and ethnic differences and and if english for example isn't necessarily your your first language or primary language here in this country and then there's also again our unique experiences our unique experiences right. has a, a way of answering that question um and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out the term, you know, diverse answers to that. Mm -hmm. I think the core answer to that question is talking about racism, divisive, is yes, only because even after the civil rights movement, you know, this country really did not, did not get rid of racism. We know that. We right. know that racism exists in corporate policies. It, it exists in our laws. It exists in so many policies within you know these states all across America that never got addressed and so now with the power of social media in which people can talk about their opinions or it's real time in which you're you're hearing these inside thoughts from people it, it makes us feel as if oh this is a brand new thing <laughs> um, and it's not it really hasn't been and uh, and I think Feeling like it's divisive is just a symptom of the overall problem that we face in this country, which is systemic racism. And, you know, I, I was thinking, too, that to say that talking about racism is divisive, that implies that everybody is in unity. And so when you talk about <laughs> racism, you break up that unity. And what I was saying, what, my, what my, my friend on Facebook was saying, too, was that there, there, that unity doesn't exist. Right. And that if we don't talk about it, maybe we need to talk about it and make people uncomfortable to call people's attention to it. But if we don't talk about it, it doesn't, racism doesn't go away when you don't talk about it. Well, sorry, Valerie, and then, and then I'm going to have you jump in, but, you know, who gets uncomfortable when we talk about race? Who really gets uncomfortable? Because when people of color talk to each other about people of color issues, uh, you know, I, I, I don't get the experience that I get uncomfortable when someone talks to me about, man, this was my history, this is what happened to me and my family. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer the question, first and foremost, who gets uncomfortable uh, who needs to acknowledge the privilege when it comes to race? We know we know what we're talking about here, and if we want to call out the, the the elephant in the room, that is, white people need to acknowledge the fact that they're they're just being white is a privilege, and talking about race isn't necessarily 
um, you know, a, a way to provoke or offend you, but having real discussions about race and issues um, is, a, is, is supposed to empower our country to do better, to do more, to create actual change. So in a lot of ways, I feel and experience a lot of white fragility when I talk about race with my friends and colleagues and whatnot, in which at the end of my conversation, I almost feel like I have to apologize for bringing up situations in which I'm discriminated against because of my race and or my friends primarily, you know, African-American people or uh, people of color, black and brown, you know, and, and especially when we talk about the cr broken criminal justice system or law enforcement and police brutality. Valerie. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, oh Valerie. God. Okay, so here's, here's my thing. When, when we, if you want to talk about racism, maybe you don't use the word racism. Let's talk about the different experiences we have within our different cultures. And because race is honestly, you know, we know historically it's a mental construct anyway. Mm -hmm. But if we can just talk about our experiences, can we at least do that? Is that divisive? Because if I'm going to talk about my experience, I'm going to talk about my experience as an African-American woman. So where is there room? I'm, I'm right with Michelle. If we can't talk about it, then how are we ever going to get anywhere? Because the divisions are already there. That's what, you know, my point is the divisions are already there. So when you say it, it's like um, it's like the family is together for, I don't know, we'll say Christmas, and somebody comes in and starts talking about the fact that she was molested by the grandfather, and people say, don't say anything, you're going to ruin Thanksgiving. Mm. And, and that's what I think about when somebody says, when, when, when somebody was trying to tell my friend that, oh, you're being divisive if you talk about race. First of all, people were never really together in the first place unless ultimately who was together? Who was the unity? Is the unity like like amongst all white people? Because people of color have to deal with racism. So are they not supposed to bring it up because it'll ruin Thanksgiving or ruin, ruin the holiday or whatever it is? So it's like when people say, let the healing begin. Let the healing begin. People heal when things were like healthy, but if it was not healthy, there is no healing. And being divisive, what does that mean? It means don't call attention to the fact that some people are being discriminated against. Don't call attention to racism, because if you do, you're gonna make me feel bad, and I don't wanna feel bad. I'd rather have just you feel bad. It See, that's what I was about to say then. Oh, so everybody else gets to feel bad. That's not okay. We all live on this planet. We all live here, you know? And, and if we don't learn how to live together on this planet, uh, we were talking about this earlier, Sima. I said we'll implode. You said we'll explode. I think both are this, you know? We have to do this. I don't think the planet is in good enough condition for us to keep up this madness for much longer. We really do have to talk. And, so, oh. yeah, not letting, not talking about it because it rocks the boat or it makes you uncomfortable is not good enough. So here's my question. If talking about racism is divisive, then how do you get rid of racism? If somebody says, I don't 
like racism, but don't bring it up because it's divisive, then how are you going to get rid of it? Well, you, when you put it that way, and, uh, you know, I interpreted the question prior to, is it divisive? Do, do people, you know, divide on their yeah. their uh, perceptions, views, and, and all that? It does. Like, race is a topic that can do that. But when you interpret it as it can divide us and not unify us, um, I think that uh, – it can unify us. Yes. So, so that Absolutely. you know, it, I don't mean to be confusing, but when you interpret or you ask it in that way, we have to. As hard as it is, right? As hard as it might be, as challenging as it might be to talk about race or any other difficult topic, by the way, from breaking up with someone or you know telling someone the truth because you did something that's going to hurt them. No matter how horrible of a reaction, there's always a way for you to, or an opportunity to make it better. And so until we really rip the Band-Aid off or stop walking around, you know, or tiptoeing around the, the issue and start talking about these real deep issues that we have in this country to make the changes that we need to, mm-hmm. in that way, it can unify us. It just wouldn't feel, it, uh, wouldn't feel that way right away. Yeah, or else it's like, oh, wow, we were having such a great party. Why did you have to bring it up that you couldn't get in because you were a person of color? You just ruined the party for everybody. <laughs> but who's par- who, who did you ruin? Who's everybody? Who's, a, who's everybody and who are we talking about being divisive? We're, we're really talking about some white people. We're not talking about people of color because people of color know about racism. <laughs> and if nobody does anything about it, then nothing's going to change. So another question I have for the two of you is we're in the Bay Area. People think the Bay Area is so progressive and so together. Have each of you experienced different kinds of racism? And if so, would you share any of your experiences? (laughs) Uh, Sure. I mean, you know, I've experienced racism uh, quite a bit uh, Wow, throughout my life. But I, I would say one really interesting example is I am uh, I'm on my way home, uh, driving on the 17. I'm not driving. I'm with, with, uh, with another person, a woman who has short hair, big hoops, African-American. We're driving in the car. We get pulled over. And uh, the first thing that this brand-new police officer, yeah, I mean, he was a boy, the first thing he said is, are you on parole? <laughs> That's the first thing he said. Are you on parole? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but that is the first. He didn't say, may I see your identification? You know, he didn't. He said, oh, are you God. on parole? That happened. I mean, it's one of those things I'm laughing, but it's so sad. It's, that kind it's of so, stuff happens all the so, time. And it happens all the time. So... So when you tell a white person and they go, oh, no. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> That's what I was, I can't believe it. Well, believe it. Please, can you, can you please accept that other people have experiences that may not be in your realm of experience, but we really do have other experiences. And rather than deny it, can we talk about it and talk about what we can do to stop that occurrence? Yeah. 
And I want to chime in here and share my experiences. But before we do that, it's time to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't go away, everyone. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. And if you'd like to chime in on this discussion, you can tweet to Sima. Sima, where at? At The Inclusionist. Sim, well, no. What is your oh. tweet handle? Oh, The Inclusionist. It is just at The Inclusionist. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I thought it was at mm. Sima The Inclusionist. The Inclusionist, though, because there's somebody else who stole my inclusion. No, so no, the no. Inclusionist. <laughs> the Inclusionist. <laughs> Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Hi, this is Sima, the inclusionist, and now we're back with my guests, Michelle Miao and Valerie Joy. So my, my question to you now is, you know, we've been like bantering around about is talking about race divisive. And I just said, really, I don't care because I don't know who's feels, who is it divisive for? Ultimately, it's what's going to bring us together because we don't talk about race People will just walk around really on eggshells and everybody will just be like in their own little silos and discrimination will just be rampant. And people will say, don't bring it up because you're going to ruin the holidays for everybody. That's too bad. So my next question is to both of you, do we need to have a conversation about race? In this country, do we need to have, I think, do we need to have a conversation? Or are we post-racial? No, we are not post-racial, and yes, we need to have a conversation. Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> of course we need to have a conversation. I mean, you know, I, I have the perspective of identifying as LGBTQ, as female, as uh, Asian American, as uh, someone whose parents were refugees. 
um, as someone who grew up, you know, in poverty and shares parallel experiences with the black community uh, as far as like, you know, education, access to health care, access to employment. So I have a lot to say. So absolutely, are we not post-racial? Absolutely, do we need to have a conversation about race? Yes, we do. And even in all the, uh, as we, as we uh, let, me, let me rephrase this, where all of my identities intersect is where we need to have those conversations like STAT. So for example, in the LGBTQ community, this is a community that has just seen some you know, um, uh, rights, if you will, at lightning speed, such as marriage equality. And you would think that with these rights, everybody's lifted up and everything is great, and it's not. Because there are parts of our community who are LGBTQ, the most marginalized, the most vulnerable, who can't even afford to get married if that makes sense for people who are tuning in here on the Progressive Voices Network, not to mention the fact that racism, mind-blowing idea, exists in the LGBTQ community. <laughs> you know, as a as a, a volunteer for the Pride Parade celebration, when we made Black Lives Matter, you know, grand marshal, an organizational grand marshal, uh, I, I received death threats from people who called me the N-word lover or that I was making the gay parade into the black people's parade. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so that's parallel to someone like a Colin Kaepernick, who's a foot American football star and mm-hmm. exercising his right to to express himself and what he feels is an injustice to himself and to his community, that then you've got a ton of people who want to weigh in on his right to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, well, he could do whatever he wants. But, uh, I, and, I, but, and I'm thinking about the LGBT community and also about women. When people talk about gender diversity or people oh talk God. about LGBT as diversity. Now, I've been doing diversity a long time. I know diversity. There's a lot of different dimensions of diversity. And what I see too often is I see LGBT diversity becomes white, white. people or white male. And people go, yeah, we've got all this diversity. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot of it. And also in women, why is it when, uh, like even in Silicon Valley even, it's kind of a numbers game. People say, oh, we're going to have like diversity. We're going to have gender diversity. But the conversation seems to stop when there's a bunch of white women coming in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying white women. I'm not, look, I am not, do not get the idea. I am not saying anybody should not be included. But right. I'm just saying that there are people who are not being included. And I would like to hear from both of you about your thoughts about that. Because well, I know you have experience and you have experience. Well, it goes back to um, this, this gender diversity thing, that, that question. I would say it it goes back to we have different experiences. I have been in corporate America, and I have witnessed diversity trainings, quote-unquote, gender diversity. But you know what? A white woman's experience is not the same as an African-American woman's experience, is not the same as an Asian woman's experience, and different aspect of parts cultures in Asia within that or the Latino I mean you, not everybody has a different experience but when you do this training that is cookie cutter like everybody has the same experience 
you know, it seems like the white women in those in those trainings get the most benefit, and the people of color often feel kind of, well, they'll try to apply what's applicable, and what's not applicable, you just got to throw away. He, I just want to say, too, I, I, I want to also go beyond, and then, Michelle, I want to go beyond the training, because what when I've talked to women, and I said, well, I don't see a lot of diversity, mm. and, and it's nothing to do with the training. People will say, well, first let's get women in, and then we can right. get women of color, but then who's women? Right. So, and Michelle, and, you know, you've had experiences like with dealing with the LGBTQ community and, and, and women. Could you just share a couple of stories? Well, okay. So, <laughs> Um, I'm going to take a page out of Jeffrey Chang's book, who is the author of We Gonna Be All Right. He's a Stanford uh, professor and also a, a local activist here. And he, he came up with this idea. One chapter in the book was talking about how diversity and inclusion, the department or the uh, you know, the forcing of corporations to have a diversity and inclusion department mm -hmm. is literally part of, of, you know, a systemic program that actually is racist. So it's kind of like the modern affirmative action, the, 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 the way for, uh, I guess, white professionals to be inclusive when it comes to someone other than white male who enters the corporate workforce. So there's that thought or idea in which I can understand what he's talking about. Uh, and then there's the other thought or idea in which, you know, something like what you do, which is coaching executives and people in general about, you know, race and inclusion and uh, uh, ways to understand our prejudice and our bias. The the one thing that I I would like to say is that you're really not inclusive if you're talking about racial issues and you look around the room and the people that you cite or they're your facts or the people or a majority of the people that follow you are not people of color or mm -hmm. they're not women or they're not LGBTQ. So mm -hmm. we have so many people who say they're experts on diversity and inclusion and talk about all these issues as if they're experts, but they themselves are in communities that are isolated or, you know, they're, they're not really going out there with those experiences. So I'm with Valerie on that. Yeah, people stay, because I've noticed even people in, in the DNI space stay in their own, own silos. Yeah. And, and in a way, in a way, I think... A bunch of white people sitting around talking about white privilege to other white people, despite what some people might say, I think that's kind of like a white privilege thing. Because then you don't have to go out and interact with people who are different than you. You just sit around talking to white people from a white perspective about white privilege, but you're not really talking to other people. And if yeah. you don't have the conversation with people who are different than you, you can't break down any racial barriers. Yeah, an another, another thing I want to ask. Hold on a second. Go ahead. Hold on a second. I just want to I want to come back to that cuz I I, I kind of feel like white people do need to talk to white people. Mm -hmm. I really do. No, I, I agree. Uh, um because I don't want to have to provide an explanation for a white person about what my life is like and what my experience is like. Um unless unless they're ready to hear it. Okay. They really want to hear it and I feel like a lot of times 
um, because of the fragility, I can't say anything, but but stuff needs to be said. And who's going to say it? If I can't say it and I can't be heard, I need my allies to speak up on my behalf. Oh, I'm not saying white people shouldn't talk to white people. I'm saying about that, race. About race. And I'm saying that if that's all they do, and they don't go oh. out, oh. and they don't really do something, right, right, right. I'm fair. And I they don't you. interact. Then, I think we have a problem. Because while they're busy talking about it, people are out there being shot or being, you know, being kicked out of school or wherever. Mm-hmm. And people need to be active. Because and, and another another um, point I want to make, which I've noticed too, and I'd like to hear from Michelle on this, and then I'd like to hear from you too, is that still, when people talk about diversity and race, oftentimes they only think that it's a black and white issue. <laughs> so Come on, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is very, very, very true, especially in today's time. And, um, you know, I want to answer that in, in, in two ways. I mentioned earlier that a lot of my identities have parallel experiences with the black community. And until, you know, black people are actually free, and when I say free, like, you know, financial freedom, um, none of this mass incarceration, none of this, uh, these policies that directly target, you know, the black community, then none of us, none of us in this country who've migrated here um, and are people of color are free. And you're seeing that in this administration in so many different ways with the travel ban, uh, with the potential threat of a wall, it's almost as if, like, it doesn't, it actually, um, it doesn't really matter what you are. <laughs> they're just, they're just going after you. So every community needs to get behind black freedom in order for us to really, really move forward. And then the, the second way that I, I would like to talk about that is as it applies to my own identity as Asian American. And the media has done such a great job in making Asian Americans as if we're like either the model minority or, um, or, or you know, the uh, passive, silent, weak people of this country, the, the person who just kind of follows through with laws and policies. And, I, I, you know, it, it, that kind of invisibility is also incredibly damaging for our communities because then trying to live in this capitalistic society, you, you, people don't count on the fact that a high percentage of uh, Asian Americans also live in poverty yeah. and live in these broken systems that continue to rob them of their freedoms. And so then it's crazy for me to talk about it specifically about Asian American because then I could say about Native Americans yeah. who were on this earth or this country before right. we all were. Right. But, but I would like to, to ask, but Michelle, I, I would like to find no, because I, I would like this program also for people to be able to share some of their experiences. And it seems to me, and, and I agree with you, you know, absolutely. You know, until 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 we deal with the issues of because of, the most glaring issue is black and white. That's the most glaring issue. But at the same time, I think that 
there's a tendency to make other people somewhat invisible. Yeah. I, you, <laughs> how do I bluntly put this? Unless Just you're a white, rich, male, no one else matters here in this country is, is kind of like what uh, Donald Trump has been able to at least tap into. And, and when, I, when I say that, I'm talking about it from a, a, a political power. What, what he's also tapped into is this very traditional feeling as if this country is only about white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got even poor white Americans who are voting or supportive of this man because they have this uh, fear that they've had for so many years or this misunderstanding of whose land is it actually <laughs> that, you know, just talking about ISIS or talking about a national threat they're easily triggered into saying that, oh, we've got to protect our country from these really, really bad people. So uh, when you put it into that perspective and then when you bring up the word race, I think those are the types of people who only see race as two different uh, races, I guess, white and black. Um, everyone else is just uh, 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 the enemy and or the outsider or other. I think the word other, other. Is, is the right word, not enemy, but other. And so who are they? Do they matter to us? Do we care? Do we see them? Not really. And then it gets worse when you factor in religion, when you factor right, in, right. Uh, you know, even um, diversity of gender. You know, you, you, you sway away from the tradition of Christian, male, female, uh, good, bad, or whatever you want to call it. These other subjective characteristics that we might have or di- diversity, really of experiences, then they're ignored. So I don't really know how else to to say it or answer it for you, but that's been the history of the United States of America. And until, until, you know, uh, black people are free, everybody else is just other. Um, So yes, in a lot of ways, while we're focused on it being a black and white issue, uh, I think the end goal, the result is in order to eradicate racism, deal with that. And then everybody else will be free. Well, and to bring it back down to to a little bit more of a personal level, and if I look at LGBT, what's been your experience um, talking about issues of race in the LGBT community with people who are not people of color with, with white people? Have you had any of that experience? Because <laughs> I have. Yeah, and it's it's very very complex and it's hard. Um, it's it's about uh, none of it is perfect. None of, nobody's yeah. right in this situation. Um, there's blatant racism that exists in the LGBTQ community as as any other community out there, mm-hmm. and then there are you know uh, ways in which racism rears its ugly head without us actually even knowing it, and and that's in spaces in where we're calling our our we're calling ourselves liberals, if you will. So in my opinion, you've got a group of people in the LGBTQ community who have been activists and who have won these fights like marriage equality and whatnot, who suddenly all uh, don't even realize that they take up space and don't allow for people of color to become leaders of their own and fighting for the issues that they want. So in that way, they inadvertently 
kind of create the divisive spaces because then they're up on a platform yelling at everybody that they're wrong, 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 as if they understand yeah. racism. Um, and in my opinion, that to me is just a, 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 a you not acknowledging the fact that your contradiction if you're someone of privilege and not making space for other leaders to 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 rise up and and you know again if you look at where the lgbtq community is even financially and how we talk about privilege it's so complex there's so it's like it's great now that we have these jobs and we can be open and they're making us ceos but then you're complicit you're complicit in the racist systemic structure because then you fall prey to their bad hiring practices where people have to be male and white or have mm-hmm. to look this way or that way or have this educational background. And, uh, and, and, and then you live your life of your riches and your privileges without actually thinking about how do you contribute back to the community and sustain it. So it doesn't surprise me that the most marginalized and vulnerable of our community who are still homeless are youths, trans people, and queer people of color. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as, like, probably, I might not be as as political as a lot of people. But, and, you know, and I, and I think it's cool, you know, when you see LGBTQ CEOs or whatever. But that's not everybody. And I think that that's what we need to remember, that people will see oh, somebody hired a black CEO. Oh, oh, there's a black, we had a black president. But that that's not everybody. And there's a whole lot of LGBT people that are still getting fired. And there's a whole lot of LGBT people of color that aren't even getting hired. They don't even that's have a chance right. to get fired. That's right. You know, they're not even, they're, they're not even being hired. Well, that's what I'm saying, is that you get people up the food chain and, and how much of them are paying attention to the fact that uh, okay, you're you're just kind of stepping into the culture. Like you don't, you know, it's it's like it becomes passive. You're not aware anymore. You don't have mm-hmm. your your eyes open anymore. And and that's what people are saying is after marriage equality, and then we're seeing these step back with Donald Trump. Many people of color activists will tell you like. Donald Trump, we've been living with this guy for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, and now some white activists are like, oh, my God, how could this happen? We fell asleep. We, we became complacent. And it's like, no, we didn't become complacent. Right. You did. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we should have Valerie okay. chime in. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. I mean, somebody. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Hi, this is Sima the Inclusionist again, and joining me still is Michelle Miao and Valerie Joy. And now we're on to you, Valerie. Okay. So we were having this conversation, and what I wanted to say was, this is why we need to have this conversation. <laughs> I just, just wanted to say, this is it, because here's the thing. We live in a very complex world. I, I identify as African-American. I identify as a woman, and I definitely identify in the LGBTQ community. So here we go. These, these things. Now, I can, I can talk with my African-American friends one way. Yes. You know, and I can talk with my LGBTQ friends one way. Yeah. Um, and, and some of them may not be African-American. And, I, you know, it, we live in a complex world. We need to have conversations because we live in a complex world, and when we understand our complexities, I think we can become more unified. I think when we try to keep not have a conversation so that we don't deal with our complexity, I think it's immature and Im irresponsible. We got to step up. Yeah, and I think, you know, I look at what, what, one program that I do is um, finding commonality in our multiple identities. Mm. That mm -hmm. we have to be aware of our multiple identities mm -hmm. so that then we can find connections with each other. And at the same time, then we also still have to deal with the differences. Right. So you can't just get, get stuck in what you have in common. But at the same time, like, you know, people will say, oh, well, people shouldn't talk about what they have in common. They should just get right down to the conversation. And I say, do you want to have, do you want to get results? What kind of results do you want? You know, I used to be one of those people like Michelle was talking about, like white people running and screaming. I was one of those people. I really was. I, that's why I can't stand people who are like that now. But I, I, you know, I was always right, and I was always like I was very dogmatic. And you know, I, I just wanted to add this. I mean, you know, you hear some of your uh, friends who will say, "I'm not racist." You know, I, I see no color. Like you, you're just you. I love you, and uh, I treat everybody equally in that way. Well, unfortunately, you know, that's just not how our country's built, and people are not equal. So if you're no, if you're saying I don't see you as this person of color or someone you know ethnically different from you, um, then you yourself are complicit in racism. Absolutely. Somebody got mad at me at one of my programs. They said I don't see color. I said, Oh, then you just see blood and guts. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, Well. I said, if you don't see color, then how will you know what kind of sweater to get somebody for their birthday? Because you won't know what looks good with your skin tone. Mm -hmm. 
So I got some people, somebody go, oh, you were so condescending. I said, no. But then my son actually said something, because I would always laugh about people who don't see color. And my son was saying, which, which makes sense. He said, mom, he said, but you got to realize, he said that when people say they don't see color, they're mean well. They're, what they're saying is that they want to see people as human, but the reality is that they do see color. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that they do see color, and that's okay. I mean, you know, and I was saying that one thing I, I had to learn to do, and, and I think it was because when I was young, I started working I started working with a white group that worked in the white community, and we worked with a black group and a brown group, and we all worked together doing free breakfast programs for school children and, <laughs> and doing, uh, doing different things. And I came off with, like, my militant blah, 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 like Michelle was talking about people yelling but not really doing a whole lot. And people really <laughs> called me out on it. Mm. I know the white people said, well, look, you know, you can't do that. If you want to educate white people about racism, you have to see yourself as part of those people. And right. you have to have some empathy and compassion, whether you agree with it or not. Right. You have to have the kind of conversations where you can bring people around. And, and, that's what I, and, and that's what I aim to do. And my slogan right now is educate, don't annihilate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's what I think when you talk about like what's white people's role, I think that we have a role, and I don't mean we we, but you know maybe we people who, who care, we have a role to be a bridge, and to educate people in a way, not hit them over the head, not scream at them, not call them names, mm-hmm. but we have a responsibility to bring other people around, and I know and I know I've done that because a lot of times. People don't know anybody who's different than them. And if you don't know anybody who's different than you, then it's easy to be afraid. And then you can dehumanize people, and that's how people kill people. Mm-hmm. You know, when people talk about, um, like, Trayvon Martin, they go, oh, well, yeah, but a jury found him not guilty. Because people were, they used to be, the, I don't know if you remember, you remember the homosexual panic defense? Oh, yes. The defense was if somebody was gay and you said you were afraid, then you could kill them and you right. would get off. Right. And there's like a black panic defense. I call it fear of a black planet defense, actually. You know, there was that song, fear of a black planet. I call it fear <laughs> of a black planet defense. Whereas somebody will say, I was afraid. And maybe they were afraid for some whatever stupid reason. And then the jury, who is usually usually white, will say, yeah, I would be afraid too. And that's how they get off. So they know how to humanize the person who, like George, what, George Zimmerman. They knew how to humanize George Zimmerman. They never humanized Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. They never showed Trayvon Martin as being a three-dimensional person. And I think that's, what, that's why we have to have conversations about race. And I think that some people may not want to have the conversation. Some people, like some people, have called me. I go, oh, you know, honey, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. And some, and and I understand, but, but there's people that do want to have those conversations, and maybe they, and and, and we got to bring in white people who we could have those conversations with, who we could bring along. And I know it's more my responsibility, but, um, no to every other white person. Um, <laughs> it's not. We don't need to be yelling at people. We don't need to feel better than everybody else. We need to bring people along. Because imagine if, one of my friends said this a long time ago, um, 
I didn't even like him after a while, but he said something that was really deep. He said, imagine, he, he was, he was African-American, and, and he said, imagine if you're, an, if, if you're a black person running away from a slave owner, or if you're a Jewish person during the Holocaust trying to escape the concentration camp. You would want to neutralize people. You would not want to do things that are going to like make people hate you if they're kind of on the cusp. You want to neutralize them. And I think that that's my role and other people's role um, to, to be able to at least, at the very least, neutralize people. And I think when people think that they have the, that, they, that it's almost like a privilege that I don't have to bring people around, that I don't have to try to um, get people to understand racism. That's a privilege <laughs> because do we want a lot of people fighting against racism, fighting against injustice, or we just want people who, like 10 people who have the right line? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I want everybody. So what do you two think? So, Ooh. I was just going to say, I mean, what about this idea? Uh, we're talking about in inclusion, but do we always have to be inclusive? Do white people always have to be included in the fights for, you know, black rights or, or when we're talking about social <laughs> justice? No, everybody doesn't have to be included all the time. It's like you don't invite all your friends to a, a party. No, I, I think that we all have a responsibility our own way. And yeah. I think, you know, it's a complex world. Different people relate different ways. So if it's better for you to, to be specifically in Black Lives Matter, um, or if it's only specifically for you to only deal with African-American people or whatever your culture is, um, or, or to talk to a bunch of different people or commune in different organizations. However you get there, just get there. I think we, we have too much of this cookie cutter, you have to do it one way. I think we need to make space for people to have the conversation in more ways. Well, they just had like, there was this thing that happened, this, this um, school dean, I think they're, are they called deans, whatever they're called, a professor and university, she was fired. Because she was on the, the Tucker Carlson show. He's white. You know, he's kind of, I don't know. And she's, she's African-American. And apparently at one of the colleges, Black Lives Matter, there was a Black Lives Matter party. And they didn't, they didn't want any white people at the party. So all of a sudden, <laughs> people are screaming segregation. <laughs> and so she supported the Black Lives Matter people having a party with just Either, either black people or people of color. And some people were so outraged that this woman lost her job. So what do you think about that? Why did she lose her job? Because she supported, I'm so absurd, she supported Black Lives Matter on campus having a party and saying okay. that they weren't gonna, that they didn't want any white people at the party. You know, it wasn't like they were taking over the campus. It was a party where people maybe were going to talk about some of their issues. That's an example of institutionalized racism. Thank you, thank you. You know, I, 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 Chris, but the other thing too is, 
how was was it some egregious harm? Didn't you see that Black Lives Matter was going to have a party for people of color for all black people, and everybody's lives were in balance. It was going to mean, you know, people's lives for the rest of their lives, and therefore, so when a few white people didn't get didn't get accepted into the party, their lives were ruined. Come on now, you know, man, yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of the silly stuff that I'm talking about. Oh, it happens everywhere in you know, every context. Th I mean, that, that's kind of the silly stuff. It's like, and you were hurt how? Yeah. Yeah. And it impacted your life how? And your income how? Because you didn't get to go to a party? <laughs> so I'm in, a, I'm in school right now, and... Um, there's an opportunity to study, I'm getting a PhD, and there's an opportunity to study with indigenous research methods or research methods that have been uh, based on, you know, from the European way on. And so one of my classmates said that she didn't, she didn't feel like, anybody can use indigenous research methods, by the way. Um, but this person said that she didn't even want to look at it because it, was, it wasn't inclusive. And, wow, what do you say to that? I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> what do you say to that? I mean, so that means that we can't incorporate the, the practices and the knowledge and the awareness of indigenous peoples. To do research? Okay, Michelle, let's get your reaction to this one because I'm speechless. Again, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been saying it the entire hour. And, and I'm just glad you're bringing up these examples because then uh, people can become more aware. Yes. It's really hard to become aware. I get it, especially, you know, who owns the media in this country, mm -hmm. who's running the country, period. Uh, it, it just look at the fact that in 2020 in California alone, people of color are going to make the majority of, uh, not 2020, I'm sorry, it's a little further out, maybe 2030, um, but uh, a majority of the residents in the state alone, um, when you look at the country in general, um, why do we still have old white guys running the, the country for 200 and some years, uh, especially with the history that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have rewritten the, the United States history so many times that um, didn't include the real, the truth, mm -hmm. the, the real history. I really believe that some Americans have this made-up idea of what uh, America, how it came to be. And I'm not even talking about white people. I mean, there yeah. are people yeah. oh, yeah. talking about the oppressed being, you know, yeah. the, uh, becoming the oppressor. Right. Yeah. I had right. someone who is half Syrian, half white, um, you know, ask my wife, who's an immigrant from Thailand, if she married me because, uh, you know, for a green card or because I'm American. Like, straight up. Wow. Um, as if... <laughs> I don't know. Um, that, 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 that. Uh, anyway, I have no more words to say for that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So let's see. Where are we? <laughs> Should we, five minutes? Should we 
talk about race. Do we need to have a conversation about race? Let's get back to that. Let's, since we're, uh, last five minutes, let's hear some closing words. Yes, we should have a conversation about race. I believe that if we don't have the conversation about race, we are, will continue on this track, which is not a positive one, not only for this country, but for the planet. Um, I, I am absolutely in agreement with Michelle. When black people are free, everybody will be free. And, um, but we won't be free if we don't have the conversation. And, y and we can't have the conversation if you don't want to hear it. But we got to have it. It's absolutely important. And one other thing, while, I'm, while I have the mic, um, Trayvon Martin, he, uh, there was more dimensions to him, but you had to dig to find that information out. It was the, the media put a particular picture, and always does, of all of these people. But if you dig deeper, you can always find out about the many dimensions of the people who are murdered on a senselessly on a regular basis yes yes an emphatic yes we need to have uh, conversations about race and it should be ongoing and even if it gets to a place where it seems better in your own specific community you should always continue to have the conversations about race I also you know don't think that um, the, I mean I feel like the way we've been talking about the discussion about race who needs to have it we, it might seem as if what we're saying today is that white people need to have it the most <laughs> um, but what I think you know what we're saying is we need to have it period and mm -hmm. people of color should share right, their right. authentic lived experiences and be as honest and open and do what Black Lives Matter has done for their own community which is given a platform to share it in the most realest way possible mm -hmm. you know I, I credit that movement in, you know, more accountability. It's not there yet in terms of police brutality or their relationship with the black community and these, you know, cameras now that they've got to wear, um, which comes into play and into discussion, especially when something hits social media. And for the longest time, for the longest time, people had always just considered you know uh certain groups in our community as the bad people or they're they're the criminals without realizing that hey sh holy crap there it's possible that you know the police would profile and target a certain race or that you know people of color would be thrown in jail for something as small as selling cds versus uh you know white guy up in uh, washington or new york somewhere who uh, ripped a ton of people off with millions of their dollars. You would get less, you know, time in jail. Like, people right. really didn't understand or know what exactly is going on in our country. Who's passing these laws? Something that I say on the show Monday through Friday is don't just pay attention to the federal government. Don't just pay attention to who is elected as president of the United States. In fact, I think the change that you can make, which includes the changes that we need to make when it comes to race and equality, is locally. Because you can change the hearts and mm -hmm. minds of people at your church, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. Right. You, can, you can start making real political change locally and, and, then, and then, you know, work your way up once you've got a community going. 
Um, so don't, you know, discredit yourself as a human being, uh, especially if you think, oh, well, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't go to Yale. Um, Google can be a good and a bad thing and <laughs> use it to your advantage. So I want to thank Michelle Miao and thank Valerie for being my first guests. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your new program. By the way, this is a new show that will air here on the Progressive Voices Network until Simma says she doesn't want us to air it here. But um, plan on that. Plan on a, a weekly discussion about race here on the Michelle Miao Show. That wraps the show. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. Thanks for tuning in on Progressive Voices Network.